welcome. This is Twist Gaming with the Great Game Hunters podcast, and I am joined with a special few few new special guests today. So as normal, I'm Josh, and I am joined with Fen. And Fen, you want to tell us about our two special guests? Absolutely. Uh, we're joined today by the two lo- lovely ladies who play along with me on my um, on my video series, or I should say our video series, uh, uh, Grey Atmosphere and Ajik. Say hi, guys. Hi. Hello. So just to identify... First one is Najik, and and the second lady is Gray. All right, and uh, we're going to do a little something different this podcast. We're we're going to talk um, with our lovely ladies about KDM in general, about how it is being new players in the game, and uh, their experiences with it, and uh, probably tell some fun stories about us all getting mauled and beat up and all that fun stuff, right? Yeah, absolutely. I was going to say absolutely. I can't believe you stole my line. <laughs> uh, sorry, I take it back. Yes, yes, we will. Uh, I nearly said it again. <laughs> All right, so um, why don't we start off? Why, why don't you, you guys tell us a little about yourself? Uh, Gray, you want to start? Tell us a little background, how you got into gaming and, and everything? Uh, yeah, so I actually come from more of a role-playing perspective in gaming, as you may be able to tell by how much personality I kind of forced into our our playthrough with Maris. <laughs> so yeah um kingdom death is it's really the first time i've played a game like this and it's very different but very interesting you know to to sort of try something completely new and yeah all right so so you have more rpg background and this is your first kind of board game experience yeah like um i've done some sort of dungeons and dragons type stuff and obviously uh video games like fen and najik and i met through overwatch originally and so it is really through fen kind of introducing both of us to kingdom death that we've ended up doing this very cool and najik how did you start um, in general, uh, I've, I've been playing video games for a very long time. And then I found Overwatch and Fen and Grey, and that just kind of propelled me into it. Um, I've always wanted to like do some kind of RPG game or board games in general, but I've never known how to get into it or known anyone who plays it. Um, it's very hard to find that kind of crowd if you don't know where to look. Um, so I met Fen and he just like, Oh, KDM, let's go. And I was like, oh, okay, let's do it. So Fen, you basically kidnapped them and said, play KDM with me. I need more players. So you get your session. Yeah. Uh, to, to, I, <laughs> well, I suppose I should talk about how I got into playing KDM. Hang on a minute. I want to push to talk and I keep typing in the damn it. Right. Okay. Um, so yeah, uh, for me, I've been board gaming on and off for my whole life. I actually started on, um, originally on Warhammer stuff, but to be more specific, the specialist games lines, uh, Necromunda and Blood Bowl in particular, which, um, we used to, I used to work in a board gaming shop. So we kind of introduced, um, to that kind of stuff. And we played Blood Bowl as kind of a shop league thing, even though like nobody even stocked it or anything. It was just that nice line between a board game and a miniatures game that kind of clicked with us all. Then I went on to uh, find um, Super Dungeon Explore, which I got into because of the chibis. They kind of appealed to me, the larger size uh, of the heads, the unusual proportions, a kind of fun, cutesy look of things. And I 
picked up the uh, Twilight Knight chibi model. To be more specific, I picked up two of them. Uh, I'm already reminded of this because I found one of them unpainted uh, last week and got her all painted up this week. Um, she'll pop up on my Instagram later. But uh, that was sort of the first thing. My first ever Kingdom Death model, I guess, is the Chibi Twilight Knight from Super Dungeon Explore. Um, and then I was off work on a fairly long period and sort of at a loose end. And I was looking for a good solo board game to play because Super Dungeon Explore is decent, but it's not um, it's not great long term for, for playing. I was looking for a campaign game. I tried to send a bit, but they hadn't released Road to Legend solo play at that point. So it wasn't really holding up. And I went, you know what? I got a bit of extra money. Um, I will uh, give a go at Kingdom Death. Um, and I picked up the Gorm expansion first because I like the model. Uh, that's the very Gorm that you guys have over there with you. Yeah. Then got the game, and um, you know it sort of went from there. It's kind of uh, been able to solo play it and and play it with people. It's been fantastic. And although I've talked about my board gaming, miniature gaming background, I actually I'm a role player, and that's where Kingdom Death really appealed to me most of all was the persistence. All of the games I like playing have persistent characters, have ongoing campaigns, stories, emergent storytelling. As I say with my video gaming, my preference is for roguelikes and things um, where through random occurrences, new new combinations, new experiences come along. So that's sort of where I land with it all. And, uh, and, and here I am doing KDM, painting KDM for people and stuff. Awesome. Uh, so this is you. I figured I'll go. Um, getting into board gaming, I think I had a friend come over, a friend of a friend, and they brought over Settlers of Catan. This was right after high school, I think. And we played a game, and me and my buddy had fun. And we're like, oh, we're going to go to the board game store and pick out a game. And we went there, and we looked on the shelf, and the two of us decided to pick up Descent First Edition because it was this really big, cool box. And um, had no idea what the game was, and uh, actually fell in love with Descent First Edition. And uh, we played the hell out of that um, for quite a bit. Then Kickstarter came around, and I saw Kingdom Death Online for the first Kickstarter. And I'm also a big fan of Descent, uh, not Descent, uh, Berserk. And I saw that similar art style and stuff, and I I went all in on a blind thing. Uh, what was it, two, three years later, the game came in the mail on my birthday? And then uh, me and Matt started playing, and uh, we haven't stopped, and we started a whole Twitch channel to play more, so kind of just evolved little by little. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very unique game, I don't think still. Uh, like I say, Descent for me as well, the original Descent Road to Legend, I still love that, um, but it doesn't compare to the freedom you get when you play Kingdom Death. There's like so many choices and options, and they're just going to grow with the Gambler's Chest coming out in the next set of expansions and everything. All right, so let's let's start talking about KDM a little bit, um, and uh, let's talk about the theme and, and everything. How do you guys all feel about the theme of KDM, uh, especially being new players to it? Um, how, how does it settle with you? Well, I had a lot of trouble in the beginning in my first campaign that I played with Fen only, um, and because it was so overwhelming and I didn't quite know what to do. Um, also, it being my first like RPG board game experience, I, I was very confused by everything. Um, and then eventually, after like maybe 
10 Lenten years or something, it started to like sink in. Uh, and I started to grasp it a bit better, I think. Yeah, I'm definitely, I think, but I think I'm still quite confused by it, even though we've done what, 16 Lantern years at this point. But, um, it is, is cause it's very different and it offers so many choices that it's just quite a complicated game, but in a way that makes you want to learn more about it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, also, like, as a new player, just understanding how the dice work and what you roll for each turn, that was so confusing. You mean you don't understand the difference between wounding the hit, wounding, rolling the hit, rolling to wound, and the difference between a critical and a perfect hit and all that stuff in the first try, right? Uh, yeah. (laughs) Oh, God, it was so confusing. And I asked Fen so many times, and I, I... it took me so long to get it, and now I actually understand it, I think. But it depends on the day. I mean, I still ask Fen. Like, I'm having a moment, and I go, oh, how many how many dice do I use again this time? And he is very understanding and very patient. I still am adamant that Adam shouldn't have chosen speed as the word for the number of dice you roll to attack with, because speed and movement kind of mechanically board games they tend to mean the same thing which is how far you move in a turn and it's such a i I got all the time in the world for somebody who's having trouble remembering that speed is how fast you can swing the weapon because it's not really intuitive well i mean it was the same thing with um accuracy and strength for me like separating the two that accuracy is roll to hit and strength is roll to wound that took a very long time for me to understand. But I'm also very bad at math, so that could be why. Yeah, I, I do, as I mentioned before, I play Dun- Dungeons & Dragons, so I do have the benefit of sort of being aware of that mechanic where you roll to wound and then roll for the damage, essentially, which does kind of translate quite nicely across to KDM. It does borrow a lot of mechanics from um, from role-playing games, which is part of the reason it does feel so unique is it's sitting as this hybrid uh, board game slash GM-less role-playing game. Yeah. Um, but also, I think, uh, Josh, also quite interested in how you, what you think about the actual setting itself and what you've gathered, because Kingdom Death's very, like, it doesn't put a lot of exposition out there. It kind of has little bits and pieces as you go along. So I, as, I, I'm also interested in what you guys have gathered from your understanding of the world just because you've both experienced essentially the content that the game gives you and not all the extra stuff that gets put on the store and things. I don't quite know what you're after here. <laughs> I don't understand the question. What do you What do you think of the setting of the world? The actual, like, place? The atmosphere the creatures the people that kind of stuff it doesn't seem like a particularly nice place to live i've got to be honest with you yeah i feel like there's something in the making behind the scenes i can't imagine the whole world being in a large like pit or something and then someone is looking over it and like observing i don't know why but i get the feeling that someone is just like yeah it's almost like it's an experiment and exactly. It definitely um it definitely feels like there is a lot more story than we know and obviously we o- we only played 16 lantern years but it does it feels like there's a lot more to discover. 
So if I need to know this a little better, uh, people listen on how much of the story about the world is in that versus people of the lantern. Um, it's very self-contained. It's really, um, the story of, uh, of the settlements that encounter these old sun stalkers, um, and, and build up around the, the bacteria pools that, uh, live there. And also, um, it's kind of an origin story for the, uh, the katana masters that wander around the world as well. So it's, uh, it's not so heavily based in the rest of the lore. I mean, even to the point that you get to the end with the boss rush section where all of the, the hand, the butcher and the Kingsman turn up and there's not really what feels like a particularly strong law reason for it. Um, it's kind of changed a little with the update to the hunt events, sort of pulling the elements for people of the lantern into all of the alternate campaigns. But, uh, yeah, for the most part, it is much like people of the stars is very focused around, the tyrant and his agenda. The um, people of the sun is very focused around the sun and its its agenda, and it's um, even more about its people. I'd say for me, like the actual themes that come through are like about family uh, eugenics um, and kind of like well, the whole idea of mastery of light and heat and that kind of stuff. I mean, people of the sun kind of feels like the Sims but with monster killing. I love that. That's great. You should print that on the box. People of the Sun. <laughs> like the Sims, but with monster killing. Yeah. It's all about breeding and getting the best babies and then go out and killing stuff so you can make more babies. And then trapping one of your survivors in a dung ball without a ladder so they can't climb out and they drown. Yeah, that too. Yeah, there, there's uh, some interesting stuff there. <laughs> I um I I'm like I don't know the changes in 1.5 have had a bit of a negative impact on people of the sun overall. It's not as good as it used to be, um, which is a bit of a shame, really. Because obviously the changes were made thinking of people of lantern in mind, and they've been quite beneficial for people of the stars. But uh, people of the lanterns kind of uh, lost out. Uh, people of the sun's kind of lost out a little bit. Well, I'm looking forward to. The- to, because we've decided to go forward and do People of the Stars later on um, and record that. I'm looking forward to playing that campaign with Gray and Fen because Ben and I have played it before, but um, it's a bit more... Mm, I, I like the story better in that campaign compared to People of the Sun. Yeah, I, I'm really excited about that because I love the story of People of the Stars, um, I have, I'm on record as saying I think the tyrant is the best realized, the most interesting character in the entire game. And like replaying people at the stars, I don't get bored with the story. I, I don't, I love spending time with the tyrant again all over from the beginning and following his story, following the story of his people. And, um, I mean, like most recently, uh, mo- um, well, not most recently, but like the campaign I played before I played with Nijik was, um, so my most recent tabletop campaign was a full people of the stars with green armor and the guys, they, they cheered and clapped when we sat there and read out the ending. They were like, you know what? This was worth half a year of playing this. This was great. So I'm super excited. Let's yeah. hope we make it that far. <laughs> Hopefully. And I mean, I think. It's going to be a lot easier to sort of look forward to that ending with this campaign because 
we're going into it with a much more solid idea of what we want and what we want to do. Whereas with People of the Sun, we basically picked it because Fen was like, well, here are your three options, which one appeals? And now we have a much better idea, you know, of, of what we're doing, what we're going into, rather than just going, oh, let's do that one, go. A little bit more information beside behind your choices. Exactly. Yeah, we're gonna. Oh yeah, yeah, we're gonna run um, people of the stars, and we're gonna do green armor as well, or at least try to, because it's never a guarantee you can make a full set of green armor. All you can do is try and uh, put the odds as much in your favor as possible. And we're gonna punch the dung beetle knight. Yeah, punch him right in his stupid face. Knock Ooh. him off the board. We do not like that guy. And that's like Fen's favorite monster there. <laughs> no, uh, my favorite monster is the Gorm. But the Dome Beetle Knight, I think stylistically, I love. Um, so, actually, yeah, maybe it's my favorite monster. No, no, the Tyrant's my favorite monster, Josh. Uh, well, after after the, the your favorite huntable monster, favorite quarry. Um, yeah, I think so. I think challenge wise, it's one of the most interesting. Although those last two Dome Beetle Knights we fought kind of put me in a position of uh, I really <laughs> I needed a break from the Dome Beetle Knight. I oh my god, just. So brutal. Yeah, it was not fun. No, I mean, what was it like? The first damn turn, he hurls the ball like 18 squares or something? Yep. <laughs> yeah, I think that was my role as well. So I felt particularly guilty. I was having, when that happened, I was having flashbacks to the time when I played with uh, Damo and Tom and the guys. When I uh, we played against the level three Dome Beetle Knight. Um, and first turn, he rolls it 19 squares and flattens me and removes all my armor from three locations. And I was like... Okay, well, I guess I'm not doing anything except pushing the ball about for the rest of this fight because I can't fight anymore. If, if he reacts on me, I'm dead. But that was a, that was a long, brutal fight that one, and we're trying to avoid fighting a level three dome beetle knight in this one because it's one of two ways you can get the juggernaut blade. Hopefully, we're going to go for the easy route. We'll see. You might get an ID and convince both Gray and I to do it. Uh, we're only taking the level three if we get desperate. I mean, it took three and a half hours sitting around the table to kill it. Um, and that was like with uh, very over, ridiculously overpowered builds. And, and, you know, it was still like really touch and go. It's, it's hard work. It's hard work to take down solo the level three. Well, you know, the baseline is everything is Ben's fault. So because you convince us to do stuff and then we end up with a really long fight that's really difficult to finish. <laughs> We, we trust Fen, and it always comes back to bite us. Yeah. I don't understand it. I don't understand why we're, uh, throughout it, People of the Sun, it was constantly like, we should do this. And, and I was like, this is this is the right strategic choice. And then the dice and the monster went, nope, prepare to get punished. <laughs> it's just like, oh, my God, once again. Uh... So, Fen, you have your own rule three now, right? Um, I guess I don't really want to rule three. I mean, yeah, I said I don't break equipment. You just flip a table. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god, yeah, that was. Uh, well, it should be. It should be fun because um, I I love the gorm to pieces, but Gray's not um faced the gorm yet, so that's going to be cropping up quite prominently when we play uh, People of the Stars because uh, it's fairly central towards constructing green armor, so it should be quite exciting. So uh, what expansions have you had in People of the Sun? 
we had um, so monsters. We had three core monsters. We had Spidiculus, um, the Dragon King, although we never got round to him. Um, the Dung Beetle Knight, and was there anything else? I mean, we had a plan of like or a list of possible quarries that we wanted to do, but we never got around to it because we got fed up. Yeah, I, I and we remember. did we did that one flower night. Oh, yeah. Because there was only one because of the coding of um, the game. Yeah, the the number of times I had to rebuild the game, of, um, transporting all the elements across to a new fresh one because the coding broke. The new, um, we, we're going to be playing on Arby's new board and I've been trying that and it's considerably less prone to breaking. He's re- removed a lot of the scripting that was unnecessary and tidied things up, so... I'm looking forward to playing with that. I've been trying it on my um, on, a, on, a, on a solo series that I'm going to be doing for my Patreons of just kind of showcase fights. Um, it's actually is they're all legitimate fights taken from a campaign. I'm running along in the background, uh, and it has it's not broken yet once. I accidentally deleted the board during one recording accidentally, session. Accidentally, yeah. Yeah, sure. well. No, no. I, I I I somehow accidentally unlocked it, made the board shoot across into space and then it vanished yeah but then i deleted a character sheet at one point so none of us are free from sin no it's very Except easy me. to accidentally yeah okay yeah najik is perfect <laughs> najik handles two of our characters when we play because she doesn't make mistakes <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly i never make a mistake yeah you certainly don't play the dps character and then fail to deal any dps and that would be me. <laughs> and me, be fair. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think Maris was quite a powerhouse towards the end of it. She was rocking. Yeah, but again, it all came down to the dice rolling badly when we needed them to not do that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it was a bit unfortunate. I, I definitely like regret the level 2 Spidiculus in particular. That was... Such a slog, that one. I don't understand. But also, like, we were coming off, like, a hybris high, because we had just fought, like, a level two white lion, and it just went by so quickly, because we were so powerful. Then, like, oh, let's do a level two spudiculous. This is going to be fun. And I think that took, like, including breaks, almost four hours. Yeah, that was uh, an entire afternoon gone on one damn spider. And it was absolutely impossible to ball at the end of it. I, I Once we finished, I snuck a look at the hit location deck and we were never going to ball that. That's ridiculous. And we'd have to punch, I think, we'd have to punch like 10 locations off without dealing wounds in order to get to the two remaining legs, which is just ridiculous. What's ridiculous? Yeah. He hopped around on two legs, not one, two. Yeah, we, we've had stuff like that happen where we go, oh, we're going to go fight this level one Sunstalker we destroyed in like less than two rounds and it like didn't do anything let's let's go after level two and it's like nope i'm just gonna beat the shit out of you now (laughs) yeah i think one thing i've definitely learned is that it's very easy to get overconfident and try and push it a little bit too far and then the game punishes you yeah i mean speaking of uh of, of fun sort of things i um before i started the showcase series i i did a bit of work on practicing against lion gods 
uh, the level one Lion God can actually have a legendary card. And you know how, Josh, how the, sometimes the Phoenix dumps out, um, Deja, is it Deja Vu on the first turn? Have you ever experienced that? Yeah. Well, I almost, I, I forgot to shuffle the AI deck and it had the legendary card. And then I realized, I'm like, no, let me shuffle this and actually play. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, the Lion God actually has a card that I think might be worse. Uh, it's Woeful Majesty, and I had this crop up like on the first turn against one of the level one Lion Gods I was testing against. So it triggers an AI card, it's a trait, and then the next time it shuffles its deck, it heals up completely. Uh, well, not completely, but it heals like uh, well, one wound for each living survivor. It archives all the damn terrain on the board, so you've got nothing left to hide from. Removes every single token in play, so any tokens you put on the uh, Lion God or any defensive tokens or anything like that, they're all gone. Then hands every survivor four bleeding tokens, right? That's great. And then this, this is a bit I love, destroys all armor, sets all insanity and survival to zero, and then archives itself. So I, 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 that's why we were chatting a little earlier, Josh, and I asked you if you'd encountered that, because I encountered that, and I was like, that's not destroy all armor points, that's destroy all armor. Like, can you just imagine the damage that caused your campaign by that card? Yeah, that's, that's nasty. Yeah, I, I originally, like, when I skim read it, I thought, destroy all armor points. And I was like, okay, you know, that's fine. But no, it doesn't say, uh, it, it's destroy all armor. So I think that might, might mean there. points. <laughs> We're going to have it to go yell at Zach. Point. Yeah, I think you should go yell at Zach because the, as it stands right now, that's woeful majesty. And, you know, you've, you're going to lose your, whatever you're wearing. You, apart from only dung beetle armor, rolling armor isn't armor. And that's it. So yeah, uh, we had a uh, we just fought him last night, and we had the uh, the card where he puts his trap card on the top of the deck, and it just sits there. I had that, yeah. I had that against the level three as his last card. He had nothing else left. He put his trap on top. Yeah, uh, you did exactly what I did, didn't you? I, I could shuffle the deck, so I just shuffled it till I was happy, yeah. and we checked everything out on the board. It was just like it was like ground fighting. <laughs> yeah, it, the same thing happened to me. It was against the level three Lion God. And he pulled that card, um, which I can't remember the name of it, but you have Challenge. And basically, when it comes into play, he sets the trap aside, shuffles the hit location deck and puts it on top, sits in the center of the board and doesn't draw AI. And he waits there um, and um, you have to attack him and get hit by the trap. But like Josh, I had the crest crown. So I just went shuffle, 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 shuffle. This is a nice hit location. Uh, And here we go. You know, take a look at all the statues, get re-rolls for the sinkhole story, climb down in the sinkhole, come back up again. Meanwhile, the Lion God sat there drumming its fingers like, are you gonna, guys going to challenge me anytime soon? But like, nah, nah, we'll get, we'll get to you. Sadly, we didn't have a sinkhole yet. He, he hadn't destroyed anything. It was like the second card. He hadn't moved yet. Yeah, sometimes he doesn't smash anything up at all, which is a shame. Um, for those who aren't aware, the Lion God has like a mechanic where there's a, he does a lot with terrain. And he'll pick it up and throw it around and smash it up. And when he destroys it, he'll create a sinkhole in the ground that you can climb down and explore to find like resources and stuff in. It's um, how you get most of the gear from the Lion God. Uh, and some of the most powerful stuff in the game is actually sat down in that sinkhole. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting. Um, I was doing the level three because I wanted to get some butcher's blood. And we're having a new expansion to add on to that. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's the Silver City will expand to it, and I think it's gonna have a level four Lion God at the end. Yeah. Anyway, um, so, uh, we talked a little about my favorite monsters, which is a Tyrant, and, and then I guess the Dome Beetle Knight slash Gorm. Um, what about everyone else? That's hard. 
Um, Would least favorite monsters be easier? <laughs> um, absolute bottom then uh, is the Phoenix. I hate the Phoenix because of reasons. Um, and I mean, I do like the Dung Beetle Knight. Um, it's not my favorite, but at the moment, I don't want to deal with them. Uh, I don't know what my favorite is. Probably the Tyrant as well. I don't really have like the full breadth of experience I need to pick an absolute favorite but of the monsters we have uh, fought or hunted rather you know I actually since that terrible terrible three session streak have got quite an appreciation for the antelope yeah I can see that it was boring to grind it over and over but it never did anything particularly horrible to us. So, yeah, I'm kind of fond. Yeah, uh, I don't think anyone got eaten up by it and chewed to pieces, though. Well, I got eaten. You got I know yeah, someone, someone got their arm removed, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't yep, remember they did. Who. One of the known names, probably. I think it might have been Amber Cup. Did he get his arm back? Yeah, he yeah. did. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he lost his arm, he got it back. And just like Maris lost her eye, got it back and lost it again. Because you can't be a badass if you've got two eyes. I mean, that's the reason Amber Cup got, uh, went blind as well, because he wanted to be a badass with his wife or partner. I kind of miss those two. Yeah, I don't think we've seen the last of them. No. I'll tell you who I don't miss, though. Cheddar. Fuck <laughs> The murderer of mozzarella. Well, curiosity mm. killed mozzarella, really. It was a statue event, and Cheddar was the man who popped out of it. And he was a mess. He was a fist and tusk specialist straight out the gate, but also had um, the disorder where he'd fall over when he was next to a monster. So he had to spend all his time using his fist and tusk ability to just get back up after attacking it. Ugh, it was a, a horrible time. I kept forgetting uh, and then remembering, oh god, he, he'd have stood up so he can't stand up now, and so on. And then he got murdered. Oh well. What a shame. It's almost like we wanted him to get murdered. It's almost like it was planned. Yeah, yeah, it's almost like we took him out to make sure he had more XP than anyone else, <laughs> so he would get <laughs> So you guys yeah. are smarter than us, we, we never plan oh, unless we know it's on the timeline it's like yeah all right and then turn around matt's character gets murdered that he just got bow mastery with and he cries <laughs> <laughs> oh that's awful um i tell you, you when you play people the lantern i'm gonna hand this out for everyone if you've got problems with murder and you're not particularly happy of it you just speak to your friendly neighborhood savior take one of them out get them up so they get their um ability and then activate their ability to max, uh, or near max, get to like age four, and keep them in the settlement. You use them for shared experience to train people up and get them more experienced. And and then when murder comes along, you go, oh, well, save you, bye-bye, and then you breed a new one. It's brilliant. Like, I actually, thanks, Poots, for giving us, like, some use for saviors after you nerfed them. Right, we can probably just do shared experience a bunch and age someone up and just have them there. Because, like, we have two people of ageless that are, like, no, three people. With ages that are near max age. Ooh. You you push your guys with ages up, do you? I stop them at age two and leave them there. Uh, we got them, like, 
after they already hit like age three, the ageless on them. So they're, they're already like near max. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I think we were quite lucky with Maris cause she got it when she still had like a relatively low XP. So we could choose then what we wanted to do. Yeah. It's really nice when you get, um, ageless very early on. I recall, um, Back in 1.31, uh, most people will be familiar with this, there was the white lion, if you severed his hand by the strange hand result, he would just sit there and cry endlessly um, about a lost hand, and you could set it up so he'd have no other cards in the deck, and everyone could hit max understanding, and then you would try and do that and get max understanding, get a load of ageless people. Uh, they nerfed that so you couldn't do it, you'd only get understanding once from a lion's severed hand, but I, I recall Lantern Year two, we critted and severed the hand um, in the second turn of the fight, and I turned to everyone and went, okay, uh, we're going to slow this fight down, uh, we're going to control the AI, we get, we've got a lost hand card in the discard pile, we're going to get the line down to it's just that. And everyone stood around, looking at this line, missing its hand, crying, and going, oh, well, like, like a bunch of, I don't know, like a bunch of really cruel scientists or anthropologists or something, just staring at this thing, like, hmm, this is very interesting. This teaches me so much about the world. I have learned how to not age. Um, it was a very powerful campaign after that. There was three ageless survivors, and one of them hit Leyline Walker and basically became our evasion tank. I kind of missed that. Ah, oh, we can do it again, maybe. Yeah, it would be nice. Playing People of the Stars, it's really nice to hit ageless characters. They, they, they are very, very useful. Yeah, yeah, great. You're in for a treat. Yay. I think all our ageless survivors are the survivors we new game plus with. So they, they all have like a shit ton of age and have some stupid stats right now. <laughs> yeah. So for those people who aren't uh, um, familiar with the idea of new game plus, Josh, do you want to just explain it? So there's two ways in the game to get new game plus. Basically, it's you kind of go out on a hunt, something happens and you don't make it back to your settlement. You find a new settlement and you start all over it, but you keep the four survivors you had and you keep all the gear and the resources you got during the fight and uh, you start someplace new. And we almost did it again last night. We got, so the first time we did, we got to year 18 and reset. And this time we got to year 15. And I'm like, I I don't know if I can do this again. This is, this is too much. I'm like, what would we gain from resetting now? Yeah. It's like a bunch of badasses roll into this village of people who are wearing like robes and, and huddle for warmth around a lantern. Uh, horde and like Ooh. and they're just like hey uh, guess what uh, we're in charge now uh, check out my shiny armor I look like a dung beetle and this guy looks like a phoenix I, I want them to come in and say I'm captain now I, I think that's what they would do I'm the captain now yeah. you know it's kind of funny is of course that you lose all your innovations so they temporarily forget how to talk. Uh, and then, and then it could be like the, the settlement teaches them language. Like they don't even bring their language with them. They're just like, Oh, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll let these people teach us a new language from scratch. Well, here's a question, Fen. When you reset a, f- if you do a new game plus with the four survivors you bring back, do they keep their survival options or do you reset them? Um, well, they have their survival options, but they can't use them without the innovations. Because the abilities, uh, this the, like you've got encourage and just reference anything. But I'm not entirely sure because when we've been playing People of the Sun, um, 
you don't have access to encourage, so you can't encourage someone to stand themselves on their feet. But I think it's one of the uh, maximum courage abilities um, gives you the ability to encourage yourself. And we've just been like, well, we've been playing with that and people have just been encouraging themselves because I've been sort of, it, it, it doesn't make any sense to have access to this ability at maximum courage it, and it doesn't do anything and you get no benefit for max courage. You just carve one of your eyes out. So I don't know. I don't have the answer. I think, I think they're genuinely powerful enough that I wouldn't do it on the new game plus, but I, I don't, I don't know. I don't even know what an official answer would be on it. Like rules are written. Who knows? It's a really helpful answer, isn't it? Oh yeah. <laughs> who knows? But that's part of what I found with kingdom death over time. I've become less and less concerned about, like playing the game according to the rules as written and more being like, I'm going to play how I want to and experience the game as, as I want to. I'll discuss and provide strategies under rules as written and say, this is how you do it under rules as written. But often it's not, not how I'd, uh, how I'd be really doing it myself. Yeah. We kind of play our own variant where we allow Twitch to do stuff. So, you know, they, they made an event last night to resurrect one of the characters that got killed by the Phoenix. Because they wanted to play as them still. Yeah, that's uh, well. Um, and that kind of nicely ties into what we did with People of the Sun, which because it was Gray's first game, um, and I actually think we're still going to do it again. We played a modified version of Hero Mode, um, so I've since refined it further. It's something I've been brewing for like a year and a half because I don't know about um, about m- everyone who plays this game, but I have noticed if I introduce people under a format where character death isn't an issue, they generally experience the game far more positively because they don't have that that thing where suddenly their survivor is just ripped away from them through a random dice roll, which is, like, very galling. Um, And I've I've made my opinions on how I feel about Roller 1 and You Die um, quite clear in other podcast episodes. But uh, I chose to do it with People of the Sun, um, and the first time I introduced Najik to the game, I did the same as well. Um, if you remember that, Nishik? Yeah, um, I think that actually, like like you said, it, it helped me uh, get to grips with the game without being too stressed about my characters. Because like a way to get into the game is to create a character that you bring along on every hunt and not do what's probably optimal, which is swap them out like every other hunt um, or nemesis encounter. Um, I feel like there's a lot of uh, potential and uh, good stuff to do a hero mode when you're introducing new new people to it. So since you guys are playing hero mode, do you, do you tend to stay with the same character or, or you kind of switch around a little bit? I think we, we generally stuck to the same character for the most part unless there was a compelling reason to not take them out. Like if someone had been purified or if someone had taken a... a, a an event that caused them to miss the next hunt. But otherwise, yeah, we did, we, we had our people and we, we kept taking them out over and over. Yeah. I mean, yeah. like in, in my experience with other campaigns that Ben and I have had, um, we've swapped over from hero mode. Um, and that's been very interesting as well. Like another experience, but I still think hero mode is a bit more fun at certain times. It's not as punishing. Yeah. Um, so I, th- I think I've introduced Hero Mode now to like uh, three, four different groups, and it's generally been quite well received. But I moved away from the version in the book because I found the version in the book was very 
very powerful. Basically, people could pick pick plus one to any stat they wanted apart from movement. And if you know what you're doing, of course, you're going to pick evasion or you're going to pick luck, and it kind of starts snowballing from there. Um, so I, I sort of sat down and went, well, it's it's nice to play the hero mode and not experience the death. And the interesting thing I've found is when you play hero mode, people take more risks. Because uh, I don't know about you, Josh, but like I, optimal versions of playing Kingdom Death, if you want to do the really cool, exciting stuff, you play super conservative for a long time. Like really avoid anything that might cause risks. Yeah, I mean, we since we play with Twitch, they like to take risks all the time. They don't care. Yeah. So they, they go <laughs> do like all the crazy the stupid guy stuff. in the corner. Sorry, what do you say? No, they, they like to do all that stupid stuff. Like, oh, we're going to eat this bug. Um, that bug has a 40% chance to kill you, and you want to do it in the middle of sh- Yeah, yeah, in the middle of the showdown. Please, please kill us. <laughs> <laughs> we're bored. We want to die. Yeah. Eat the bug. Yeah. The thing is, like, they always succeed. Like, they they have not died from it once so far. I don't know how, but they've managed to to, to always make it through, even though it's the craziest ideas. Well, you know, maybe maybe uh, chaos uh, rewards the crazy. Who knows? Um, but yeah, like what, what I found, <laughs> obviously, uh, the Twitch is a bit of an outlier on uh, on that one. Then, but I found that when you uh, when you play with the hero mode, people are okay with their survivors taking severe injuries that eventually cause them to retire or get in old and retiring, because it's kind of. It, creeps up on you but you can see it gradually starting to happen like if your survivor loses one eye you understand if they lose the other eye they're going to be blind and they're not going to be able to come out and hunt anymore if they lose both legs or something um and and i was very interested to see how like uh, gray and Nishik felt about this sort of like the fact is the way we were playing you couldn't die you'd get net knocked out and have to skip the next hunt but all of the permanent injuries were sticking around and they were kind of um there was retirement could still happen and we were actually playing like uh basically most people were red shirts and could die anyway so uh how how did you guys find um it did you feel there was still risk involved yeah absolutely i i think there was definitely a point where it seemed like maris was going to be blind in both eyes and that would have been a real problem so it's it's just because she couldn't die doesn't mean she would always be able to hunt and be unstoppable and fantastic the way she liked to be. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there are always risks to playing games, but I mean, it sucks to sink a lot of time into a character and build them up to get like a certain level of weapon proficiency or a certain amount of stats i don't know and then just them dying but like losing an arm doesn't feel as punishing and it still feels like something could happen to make them not like eligible to go on hunts um yeah and especially with uh people of the sun having such a large emphasis on having babies and making the next generation we had one survivor who got destroyed genitals and we had planned for her to have babies and you know it it threw a real spanner in the works and we had to plan around that and and change our plans because like there's still risks they're just different ones i guess 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you experience like a full knockout of all four characters, it's still like a, a, a TPKO, and you're getting no resources from that. It's a whole year like wasted. So yeah, I've refined it a bit further, and we're going to play it again with uh, People of the Stars. I've kind of put things a little bit more into um, an emphasis on like uh, lineage and, and heritage. So they're going to be core characters, and they're going to be passing down. Um, to descendants, if if they get too badly injured, we can pick a new champion to take out, and it should be interesting and, and quite a bit of fun. I hope. Sounds cool. So um, we talked about the game a little bit. Um, so Kingdom Death is unique. It has kind of like three different main parts of it. You have your your settlement phase, your hunt phase, and your showdown phase. Do, do you guys have a favorite phase, and uh, and which one is that? Oh, um, I really. I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. Um, I really like the hunt phase, but I also don't like the hunt phase because it has those really punishing moments um, where you roll a one and you die. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of uh, settlement phase I like. I like when you succeed making babies. That's very rewarding. Everyone likes to make babies. Exactly. Yeah, I, I think the hunt phase is kind of the bulk of the content you know um but the settlement phase is even though it's just sort of housekeeping quite often at the end of a session you, it's quite rewarding to sort of see the progress you've made for the whole settlement rather than just i mean obviously yeah you do make progress if you kill a quarry but then you're using that to better the whole settlement and and make the next year even better because of all these new things you can do and like new weapons, new armor, etc. It, it feels like progress, you know, doing the, the settlement stuff. Yeah, bu- yeah, building up your whole settlement and making it into like a little city almost. Yeah, it's like it's like the Sim City part of of Kingdom Death. Yeah, it's a it's a, it's actually quite a fun part when um, when you get experienced. You've got several people who are all familiar with things. And um, I did play one version where we played like the, I guess the way to describe is the capitalist version of the game where everybody kept their own resources. So if you crit the monster, you kept that resource for yourself. Um, We shared out the resources at the end of the fight and that's your pool. And then like people would have one endeavor each to spend or two if their survivor died. Um, because we're playing with graves and it was sort of interesting to see basically like there was two people who decided to cooperate with each other and share resources back and forth and make joint decisions. And they even like, they worked their way towards um, getting partnership. So they made their, their survivors partners. Um, but then like the others were, the, my, we were playing five players. So the others and I was one of those were very sort of like, struggling <laughs> it was uh we've sort of tried to build our own little pieces of the the settlement and 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 erect our own stuff and everything and um and all, all three of us were building towards crit builds because we were we we're having problems trying to get resources i i tried i did try to like trade with people but they're all like no 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 fennel uh fennel talk us into into making bad deals no not happening um and that was quite fun a quite interesting way to experience the um the settlement phase and the resources and everything it made the game a lot lot harder it's an interesting way to play of uh making everyone kind of fight from themselves kind of thing 
Yeah, yeah, it's it's like legitimately in the uh, in the official sort of rules. It's sort of mentioned like vaguely. You can decide what to do with resources, and it's suggested, and and it kind of pops out a bit because suddenly all those hunt events where one survivor gets to have something start to make sense. You know, where you're like, why why do I care which survivor gets this resource as long as a survivor gets back home alive? I get to keep all the resources found. Um, so it seems like Adam designed the game with this in mind. Um, so that's one of the things I'm very excited about is uh, when Grey and Nijik get a bit more experienced with the game and, and they know and, and they've experienced different things is when they start deciding quite strongly which way they'd like the settlement to go. Because um, I've only just found in my solo play that like there's a whole new there's there's tons of directions to take the settlement in that I hadn't even thought of. So I enjoy it when other people start thinking about it because they look at it in a different way. It would be it would be interesting to have like a lot more principles so you could like have a wider choice. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, instead of the binary choice of like uh, graves or cannibalism, to have something else. I don't know, like cremation. Yeah, or like you, you and I have talked about it. Um, like collective toil actually having. A positive impact because now it feels kind of punishing. Yeah. How? What? What do you mean, punishing? In comparison to except darkness. Do you mean? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, except darkness is like throughout the community a very uh, a more accepted way to go with your settlement. Um, and collective toil. Like I really like the idea because I'm Swedish, um, of people working together and sharing the burden, but. Um, Compared to Except Darkness, it doesn't have as many bonuses as Except Darkness. Yeah, it kind of felt like an obvious choice, and it would be nice if it was a bit more balanced, I guess. Like, either one is as good as the other. Yeah. Um, actually, on that subject, uh, it is. I, I was wondering when I'd have a chance to talk about this in the podcast, but just recently there was a, um, uh, a combo the settlement phase that popped up on Reddit uh, for which uses um, collective toil as part of its engine. So uh, if you guys are willing to listen a little bit um, and maybe ask me questions as I go along, I could tell you about it because it's, uh, it's actually very easy to do and it's got some very funny uh, consequences. So if people are interested. It's uh, all the babies and all the endeavors, right? It is. It is. Yeah. Okay, so for those of you listening at home, um, with the survival of the fittest principle and the graves death principle, so um, the key elements for those is survive the fittest will give each survivor a lifetime re-roll and they can re-roll any roll, not even their own, and you can re-roll again if you want to with a different lifetime re-roll. That's official from Adam. Graves, uh, the important part is when a survivor dies during the hunt or showdown phase, you'll gain two endeavours. When they die during the settlement, you'll gain an endeavour. And also, and this is important, all new survivors are born with one understanding. Um, then the other elements are two less common but still very powerful innovations. The first one is face painting from the, part, uh, from the art tree. And one of the things you can do with that is increase the number of roles on your intimacy um, storied event. So... Uh, basically you spend an endeavor on a four plus you get plus one to all intimacy roles you can do this multiple times and finally you've got saga uh which is a 
uh, music song of the brave consequence so it's quite high up in the tech tree um, it gives all newborn survivors two hunt xp two courage and two understanding now this means in co- this is like an updated version for 1.5 it didn't used to work like this did it do you remember what it used to do josh saga i think yeah they don't think they changed saga did they 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 at least changed the way the card looks. I thought it was. Um, I knew it was always two hundred XP. It might have just been two hundred XP. It might have not had the understanding courage bonus on there. I'm oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've got the original now. It's all newborn survivors gain two hundred XP and two survival. So they bo- boosted it quite a bit by giving the extra courage and the understanding. Okay, so um, what this means is any survivor that's born in this settlement. Um, will automatically be born with three understanding, which means they gain insight straight away. And when you roll on the insight table during the settlement phase, you've got a chance from four to seven of generating an endeavor that you can spend. So with that in mind, uh, hopefully I've explained that fairly well. Uh, what you do is you get four survivors killed. You can either go out on a hunt and throw it, or you can go against a nemesis fight that you don't care about and throw it, or you can use the heart flute to summon a nemesis and just go, all right, I'm not going to fight, they're all dead. And you come back to the settlement phase with eight endeavors, plus the four you've normally got, so you've got 12. You then spend uh, multiple endeavors and use rerolls to manipulate the founder's eye roll to give yourself plus eight to all rolls on the intimacy table. This means when you roll on the intimacy table, uh, you're likely to roll a 9 or a 10, or, or higher than a 10. Um, this means like you'll get a savior, and then you'll start popping out twins over and over. Each one of these twins is born, and they immediately trigger insight, uh, which gives them on a 4, 5, 6, or 7, a 40% chance of them generating a new endeavor. So then <laughs> you spend that endeavor to do augury to get more babies, and you just go round and round and round. And um, the chap who... Um, did this, I think his name's Savannah CHZ or Savannah CZ or something. Um, he sat and ran the numbers as well. And basically, on the first pass, if you've got about 10 endeavors, you should be able to get a medium of about 54 survivors, new survivors. I sat and had a little go with this. And basically, um, if you run this for like five years or so, you can run the population exponentially up into the billions. So, uh, and you can go further and further if you want to. Um, to the point that you could like have a ridiculous number. Um, now then, with collective toil, this is generating one endeavor for every ten survivors you've got in your settlement. So you take all these endeavors and you start doing all sorts of cool things with them. You can, um, if you have access to the expansions, you can actually generate resources by killing off your survivors, which is quite cruel. But you can then use those resources to make leather and make iron. And then use the lever and the iron to make whatever you like from the, um, like the, you can ge- literally generate a lantern armor out of like people, which is kind of, kind of disgusting if you think about it. You build this horrible, massive creaking society of billions and billions of souls who t- use death to churn their, um, ch- churn the bodies of their people into, uh, into new resources. So it, you're making China. Oh, I didn't say that. Yeah. Well, it's, um, the scary thing about it is actually Survivor of the Fittest Graves and Face Painting, they're stuff you're taking anyway. And what I played with the, my, my, like, my showcase, um, playthrough was actually, I've landed on the music tree by accident because it was the first choice was between drums or hovel. And I was like, I ain't taking hovel. Um, and that, uh, that was quite sort of interesting because I suddenly realized the new drums is ridiculous. 
And then the new Forbidden Dance is ridiculous as well. Song of the Brave's okay, but then Saga's like got this as well. So this is not just a edge case. Oh, you could do this if you wanted to. This is like most people are playing Survivor of the Fittest and Graves at the moment. All you need to do is add face painting, which you would anyway, and then go get Saga. And anyone can do this. Just off they go. So unless something happens, like Founder's Eyes limited to once per settlement phase, I don't think there's any content in the entire game that isn't, it can't be taken down. Like, you've got all the resources you ever need. Um, I, this is obviously highly abusive, and I don't know if I'd uh, be interested in doing this every time I play, but it's sort of like, my God, when you've got an unlimited number of people and a basically unlimited number of endeavors and all of the leather and iron and skulls that you could ever want, the sky's the limit, really. You just need the monster resources would be fun to play with though to at least try it and see what happens yeah, absolutely oh um that's right yeah because you can as well not just the resources you can take stuff like nightmare training and petal spiral um and shared experience to level up all the survivors and create weapon masters in the settlement like they they you build like a factory that churns people into resources and another tr- giant training ground where people get nightmare milled into uh it's <laughs> You know, you will learn to master this club or you will die. Yeah, and it, like, it's like, oh yeah, I've mastered the club, I've never gone out on a fight. <laughs> Alright, so that was a nice little exploit there. Um, so, we talked about uh, the different phases a little bit. What about so I know a lot of people have a, a favorite weapon type and stuff like that. Do you guys have a favorite weapon or something you like to do or or do you like to tank or do support? What, what do you guys... Do you guys find yourself in that kind of play style? Well, if anyone has watched our People of the Sun series, they know I am very heavily into archery and whips. <laughs> Anything that's ranged, basically. I am very into like rogue-type styles of uh, playing. Yeah, and I, um, I, I like tanking. I like it a lot, but um, I ended up being quite good with the... Uh, the axe, specifically the counterweight axe, and did quite a lot of damage with that. Yeah, Maris is a beast. Yeah, I am, I'm actually one of the ones, I typically play the tank and, and then Matt plays the ranged guy, so almost the same setup. All right, do you guys ben, have, what about you? I think Fen went to go the bathroom real quick, so I think he's okay. <laughs> <laughs> what has he been playing mostly in uh, your campaign? Um, a lot of support, I feel, right? And he, he tries to take yeah. on the, the, the critical hitting characters um, and keeps bailing, basically. And he, he did uh, Cheddar for Fist and Tooth just to get it out of the way. Yeah, but mostly like he tries to support, I feel, or run around rolling a dung ball. Yeah, I do. Well, first of all, hashtag fuck Cheddar. Um, not what <laughs> sounds worse than what it says. <laughs> I should think before I speak sometimes. Uh, yeah. Also, part of that is I think when you're introducing people to playing um, Kingdom Death, it's uh, I think it's very important to to like let them let them play the uh, the more interesting the damage dealing characters. Dealing damage is kind of fun and enjoyable uh, for a lot of people. 
Um, whereas I think like playing the support is maybe the least, um, I don't know, like the, the least enjoyable role, I guess. I, I do actually take some enjoyment from it. I guess what I mean is, oh, I'm, I'm bumbling a bit. Let's, let's just say, I think the support role is the one that can feel the most thankless because you don't get to attack. You don't get to do that much, but some people may enjoy the mastermindy kind of monster control that involves. However, they seem to be the exception to the norm. So I take the support role when I'm teaching people and let them, let the other people get the glory of the kills and everything, which is more fun. Everyone wants to just roll more dice and hit the monster more, right? That's why speed's the best thing? I don't know. I feel like what you, like speed. <laughs> so like in the beginning, you're like, yeah, more dice. I get to hit more. And then you go through a period where you're like, no, I don't want more dice. I don't want to hit the trap. And then you kind of settle into accepting it. Yeah, I kind of been through the cycle. Sorry, Josh. No, I'm just saying. Yeah, a lot of I think once players actually understand the game more, they they realize speed is not the king of all stats, and it's actually like horrible. Didn't we have a character who and who had, was it like five dice? Yeah, Kabucha. Um, she got hit with like some extra speed. Um, she had the. Uh, bow did she have um uh at least it had three base speed and then she got hit with some extra speed during the hunt event the Um, sun ring bow oh yeah the sun ring bow so she had at that time i think it was this ridiculous fight she had five speed which was quite ridiculous to be honest yeah i think i i i liked having two i think that was a good number for me Two's definitely a sweet spot in the game. I'm most comfortable with two, sometimes three, if I've got quite high strength or high luck. But still, my favorite weapons are mostly mostly slow ones. Yeah, I have to agree. I think that the two or one range is good. I, I do have we do have a couple of survivors with three, but it's our more heavy hitters that have the three speed that uh, can really wreck something. Yeah. I'm uh, uh, Josh, what is your like all-time favorite weapon? All-time favorite? I've really been enjoying the speaker cult knife. That, that's what I'm playing with right now. Um, I've gone the complete naked, activated it, be a sane, and just cut everything and dodge everything. Hey, I've never actually used the speaker cult knife um, without with without armor. I've always just we just used it to max out um, fist and tooth, and then start working on dagger. So, uh, is he on a is it on a ley line walker? Nope. Uh, he has six natural evasion, though, so he, he might as well be. <laughs> Jeez, if he was a Leyline Walker, he'd have nine, but I guess he's ageless. Yeah, he's ageless, so... I've been trying to get him crystal skin, but I just haven't had the chance to. Um, he He's our kind of support. He's holding pickaxes and sickles and everything else. It uh, just has a, the dagger on him and some monster grease, just so to make sure it's like a 10 plus to hit him. Um, he's... Uh, also a belt of gender swap because he got stuck with that twice and got like the most positive re- roll on that. So he got all the stats boost. He's, he's quite an insane character. Mm. Wait, he got, he got belt of gender swap twice. Yeah. So he's got two of them. Uh, I don't have a second card and I think it says unique on there. I just said it overrided the other one. So uh, I, I didn't put a second one on him. <laughs> Ooh, I'm going to look at my card right now. I don't think it's unique. Uh, I might be cheating. The cheat count will go up for the the game. Yeah, just increase the cheating count. I think I agree. Like it's a bit weird. <clears throat> you could end up with someone with like 
<laughs> had it maybe five bit belts of gender swap or something. Yeah, no, it's it's. But he he's yeah, a, it's just a funny character. It's just cursed. Yeah, it's cursed and it's jewelry and other. So no saviors. Saviors uh, can't swap their gender. That's not fair. But no, I've been enjoying that. Um, I've always liked grand weapons too. I've, I've always found those fun. Favorite grand weapon uh, outside of uh, the perfect slayer. Um, I've always played like Zombato. That's like just just because it's it's decent all game round. Uh, I I actually like the Ripley too now uh, that I've been playing that more. But Zombato is pretty good. Yeah, I, I really like the Zombato. Yeah, it's a it's a really cool weapon. I Rib Blade is one of my favorite weapons. Um have you Josh, have you played with um dual wielding grand weapons yet? Uh, not yet, no. No. Right, right now I'm running blood paint with the the speaker cult knife and a shield on my naked oh, that guy. Works. So Yeah. Yeah, you can um dual wield either rib blades or calcified juggernaut blades. And you can also, um, you can paired them, but it's not that beneficial. Yeah. Oh, oh, we haven't had a chance to play with the calcified Zambato yet. Hopefully that crops up during our People of the Star campaign. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, you both mentioned that, but I don't really know what it entails. So I would quite appreciate an explanation if you don't mind. Sure. Uh, Josh, do you want to tell us about calcification? Sure. So uh, one of the Dung Beetle things... Um, things he introduced to the game is uh, farming, so you can farm. Um, and I guess survivors find a good idea to take their gear and bury it in the farm. You know, bury it with the dung beetle ball poop or whatever it is. Um, and it calcifies uh, weapons and it makes things stronger. So um, it gets rid of like frail on the zombato, and I think it ups the strength a little bit too. Right, Ben? Yeah, um, so the Calcified Zambato is um, a weapon melee, grand, two-weapon, bone, and heavy. Um, the non-Calcified Zambato actually has the mineral keyword um, in the expansion. It's like printed on the back of the Zambato, and you flip it over. It's quite nice. Uh, it's um, it's still got the same devastating one ability that if you can unlock it. Uh, its stats are one speed, five plus accuracy, and eight strength, and it's slow and deadly. It's like probably one of the top four or five grand weapons in the game. The trouble is, like, grand weapons are so powerful late game. So, yeah, it's um, it should be good fun. Somebody can um, rock a calcified Zambato. And my personal favorite is when you fail to calcify one and you get a trash crown. I love the trash crown. So, yeah, uh, anyway, um, kind of to go into it just in, in a little more detail, the farming takes place underground, which is the, like, I think the survivors discover the dung beetle knight keeps a load of plants underground in the tunnel network and they go, ooh, that's a good idea because the surface has all got these stupid stone faces we can't do anything on, so let's dig underground and, and plant plants in the tunnel network. And yeah, they stick, um, the calcify, they stick like certain mineral gears, uh, underground inside caustic dung, I think it is. Um, and yeah, I don't really know how the process works because it's not really calcification as we think of it. Um, but it's like, uh, see, you can calcify one katar, uh, you can calcify one item to make the juggernaut blade, you can calcify the zanbato, and then you can calcify the plates that come on the rolling armor. 
and effectively it makes each one of them maybe two to three times better than it normally would be but you have to wait several years while it's stuck in the ground so does that make sense gray yes it does and you also make some really weird food right nightmare corn or something like that oh yeah the corn with faces and the vampiric artichoke yeah um, we have a question from chat. Uh, given 12 expansions are coming out, what expansion weapons and armor are your favorite to add to the game? So, um, uh, that's probably just for me and Josh as we've experienced most of the expansions, uh, unless you ladies do have like stuff from the expansions that you've seen that you like the look of. Nope. Um, Josh? Nope. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm not sure. Right. Yeah, we'll experience more expansion content with People of the Stars. What about you, Josh? Um, Gorm armor set and a lot of the weapons like just top tier. So Gorm stuff. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's I think that's the biggest ad for me so far. That like I've really played with is the Gorm stuff. Um, we're starting to get into the Sunstalker stuff a bit. Um, I have a silly trapper build with the Cyclopean armor right now. Um, just with the spear and everything. Um, which is cool, and I know Matt. Matt's enjoying the quiver from the uh, the Sunstalker with the uh, arc bow with uh, his ten range. Yeah, the quiver and arc bow is a, a great combo. Do you want to quickly explain trappers for people who aren't aware of uh, what the term is, and perhaps maybe who coined it? Um, damn, I think it was you that coined it. I'm not 100 percent sure. Um, it was me. <laughs> So a uh, trapper is, so one thing is when you get Spears of Specialization is if you hit the trap card on your attack, you get to roll D10 on a seven plus, you get to reshuffle the hit location deck and redraw. Uh, then there is the blue charm, which is part of the stone circle. Um, though you don't need any screaming antelope roosters to get it. It's three organs and you get the blue charm. And it's if you have five blue affinities, which is a little hard to do. Um, when you, you get an ability just like the Spears of Specialization, but it's on a six plus. So you can put the two of those together and you have two chances to try to cancel the trap and hopefully get out okay. Yeah. So just to summarize, basically it's the idea of using um, the spear specialization and the blue charm to reshuffle the deck whenever you hit the trap. So you can deliberately have someone who is who their job is to run in and poke the monster when the trap's coming up and hopefully cancel it and reshuffle and reset the deck. Uh, so it's a very nice piece of mitigation. It becomes less relevant when you've got the Crest Crown to do the same job, but still it's a nice tool to have. Uh, for those of you who aren't aware, the Crest Crown when you're, uh, allows you to reshuffle the hit location deck, so you take all the discard pile, a whole lot, shuffle it, and get a fresh go. It's from the level 3 Phoenix, and it's basically one of the only reasons I'll fight the Phoenix, is to make the Crest Crown. So my Trapper actually has a Crest Count on it. <laughs> Just, just to add to it, so uh, he'll jump in and do it. He's, it's more of like if we're going in blind, and we don't know what's coming up. He'll just do it, and just in case. But uh, if we do find the trap, he could just shuffle it down if he wants to. Yeah, it's uh, it's good fun. We might be managing to put one together in People of the Stars because there is a sweet, sweet spear in that campaign. Yeah, I'm using the the lance of Longitis. If I remember pronouncing that correctly. Yeah, I believe you pronounced it correctly. Um, yeah, the, it's irreplaceable. I know the one. It's very high strength. Um, I suppose I should answer as well. Uh, I gotta say, um, favorite expansion for adding stuff in is actually the Dragon King. Um, because all the stuff is slightly underpowered, 
and I like the Dragon King. I like having the Dragon King in. I like the designs. And it's hard to make the gear viable and good. Usually you have to rely on Sunstalker Cycloid Armor to make it not suck, which is uh, uh, generally means that Dragon King and the Sunstalker sit in the same campaigns. Um, I do agree the Gorm's fantastic. I think the Dome Beetle Knight and the Sunstalker are also fantastic. Uh, Spidiculous for me is a problem child. Yeah. Are you disappointed in him? <laughs> Every time I fight Spidiculous, I'm reminded why I'm not so keen on it. It's because yeah. so much of the stuff is not worth making, and then the few bits which are worth making are so ridiculously powerful that you're like, w- w- why couldn't this power level be distributed a bit better out across all the gear? You know? Yeah, the only thing I made from them is the uh, silk bodysuit. Oh, that's so good, the silk bodysuit. Yeah, it really is. I really like that one. Yeah, we we picked one of those up because um, one of our survivors had vestophobia, and it seemed like a prudent way to get her a bit more armor. Yeah, it was a good call, even though we stopped the campaign. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing, that, that piece of kit. I can't believe how quickly you can get it built as well. I mean, if you concentrate on it, you can probably have it done within two spidiculous fights. Yeah, what's the cost for it? I can't remember. I know it's six pieces of silk. If you give me a moment, I'll have it. I think spinnerets are involved in one of the resource. Yeah, I think it's spinnerets and six pieces of silk. So you could do it in a fight or two. Uh, sorry, five sp- silk, two hides, and one spinnerets. There we are. So that's actually doable in two fights, um, especially because you can generate the silk as well via um, silk refining, the innovation. So it's a very easy item to make, and it's surprisingly, like, considering it's minus two damage, it's very powerful. Uh, and the more I look at it, the more I'm like, why is this thing so easy to make? Yeah, yeah I was contrast. running with that on top of uh, Screaming Armor. <laughs> oh, God. Because... Screaming <laughs> oh, Armor. Oh, my God. We could not finish our Screaming Armor set in the campaign. We just could not draw the horns. Yeah, we farmed that antelope like a lot of times, and we still couldn't get them. Yeah, I just took yeah. apart my Screaming Armor set to make uh, Dancer Armor and uh, what's the axe one, the hybrid one? Warlord. Warlord Armor. So uh, I, I split it up so uh, I could give uh, Mad and Twitch those those armor sets. I love those two armor sets. Um for those people who aren't familiar with them, uh, Dan- the, um, yeah, your dancer yeah. armor is what Phoenix Helm leather body. No, Phoenix Helm rawhide body. Um, antelope bracers. What is it? Yeah, antelope bracers. What's uh, the and legs? Leather. Are I think leather? leather. Leather legs and then, yeah, the leather. Yeah, uh, waist is leather, and then I think the legs are yeah, the legs are leather too. They're both leather. Yeah. All of the hybrid sets have the same piece for waist and legs because of the models having the same piece for waist and legs. Ah. Yeah. So, because obviously you can't pass uh, mix them around. But yeah, that's right. Dancer and Warlord is lantern armor, waist, legs, Phoenix placard on the body, a screaming helm on the head, and leather braces on the arms. And like the Dancer armor is all about mobility and running about and being evasive. And the Warlord armor is just about murdering things with axes. And I love the Warlord armor so much. I don't know if Agray Nijik, if either of you are interested in 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 that armor set, like if either of you want the rock axes in our next campaign. But if you do, I'd quite happily tolerate the Phoenix for a fight or two just to get the placard built. I mean, it's definitely something we can discuss. I know Nijik does not like phoenixes. 
Well, the Phoenix killed one of my favorite survivors and uh, one of my in my and Fen's people of the Lantern campaign. So I'm I'm still a bit hurt over it, actually. Yeah, that was a really unpleasant fight. That one. Yeah, it was. Our whole party got wiped from existence. So, Fen, quick question: What do you do with dancer armor? Uh, I stack momentum onto it, which is the Dung Beetle Knight uh, fighting art. So you run around and build up the momentum tokens even faster, and then you can just barrel in and deal massive blows with high strength and high um, luck. Otherwise, uh, I generally stack evasion onto it because it comes naturally with two evasion built into the armor. So rhythm chase is great on it. Um, Monster Grease is solid. And weapon-wise, I don't really know. It doesn't have a weapon focus. It's just whatever you fancy, preferably... It doesn't even need to be deadly or hard-hitting. You just jog about the place, <laughs> building up momentum, and then charge in. So I, I give it to Matt with the bow, since it gives a free movement. Oh, yeah. So you can yeah. easily surge it and, and shoot twice without issue. It's a good idea, yeah. All right. So um talked about the Unmunch. Do we have any fun stories we want to talk about during our KDM plays? I'm just trying to select one um, to, to open up with, really. <laughs> Ooh, um, I could tell you about the shortest campaign I ever experienced. Um, outside of like a random prologue white lion, uh, like fight death thing, um, which happens occasionally when it draws cards. It was when I played with some friends and it's the first time we experienced, um, Spiniculus. We're playing all rules as written in the book and we got to the, end of the fight versus the first level was ridiculous because people weren't very familiar with fighting it or anything we'd lost everyone except for two people um and they uh <laughs> they went in um and uh finally took down ridiculous and then read the taken rules and spent an hour shouting at each other about who would get taken and um, we kind of went, okay, well, we're, we're not going to play this game with this group until we do something about Taken. Well, I mean, um, in our uh, campaign in the fight with the Phoenix that I that made me hate it so much, uh, I had a survivor who was named Hades because we named all of our uh, survivors after Greek gods. Um, and he only had one arm. Um, he was equipped with blood paint and wielding two scrap swords. He was a ley line walker, so he was running around naked. And he was just really insane. And his insanity got wiped during the hunt event. Um, and then um, he got wiped from existence <laughs> during the showdown. <laughs> My favorite naked survivor. <laughs> Yeah, it was really rough because he was all equipped and set up for taking on the Phoenix. He had the uh, had the right stuff because he had good high insanity to be able to handle Spiral Age. And then the hunt just went, nope. And as soon as we lost him, that was kind of the beginning of the end, really. Yeah, then everyone got wiped because he was the one who could deal the most damage. Yeah. Game tends to spiral out sometimes like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say one of my favorite moments, um, which came recurring. I don't know if it was a joke or not, but, uh, it, it, it was, um, it was Maris and her tendency to eat anything she could get her hands on. <laughs> she loved to eat. She, uh, 
she ate silk, didn't she, and fell asleep for a year. <laughs> yeah. Twice, I think. <laughs> Twice, yeah. Oh, that was wonderful. Like I, I, I gotta say, like Maris is up there amongst my my favorite characters we ever encountered in in Kingdom Death. Like so many emergent stories occurring around her, so many things, and and Gray, you really did bring her to life. And I'm very excited about finding out what happens with the the next characters we bring to People of the Stars because it it was a pleasure to play along with Maris. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to finding more stupid things to have my survivor do that makes everyone laugh. I'm looking forward to it too. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh oh, oh, um I can remember one from it's actually my current tabletop campaign and we uh we're playing People of the Lantern, we're playing with a bunch of the expansions mixed in. Demo is playing. Uh, Demo's quite experienced. He's played like four campaigns now. Uh, usually he's the guy who dies first. Uh, Nick's playing, who's played like one and a half ish campaigns scattered around. Uh, and Matt has joined us, who's, uh, he, he's new to the game. He's still getting to grips with it, but he, he has embraced the chaos. Um, we got as far, let's see. So we managed to nail the cat's eye circlet. I think. In the first or second lantern, the first or second fight, um, we went on to do the Gorm and hammered the pure bulb out first try, which was, you know, brilliant. I went, I'll take the blinded eye if I can use the riot mace we're going to make. And everyone's like, okay, well, that's fine. We don't really know what the riot mace does. Uh, no problem. And then we went into the butcher. And normally the butcher's not an issue. Normally. Um, we were set up correctly. We had bandages. We had good, strong weapons. We had rawhide armor. And the butcher just decided to walk straight up to Nick and destroy his head in the first turn. Just bit it straight off. And it was just like, oh, my God, that whole fight was a slog against one of the nastiest level one butchers I've ever faced. He was just – he had, I think, both bite cards and hack city and lantern hunger – and the other one, Devour Lantern, I think it is. And oh my god, it was just the worst. And then, and then, like, we, we get down to two people left, and we beat the, the butcher, and we get lost in the clinging mists. And I don't understand how the survivors who face the butcher in their settlement manage to get lost in the clinging mists and end up at an entirely brand new settlement. Like, I think maybe they were lying and they just sort of went, fuck this, and left and wandered off <laughs> into the darkness. Maybe they got in the head a few too many times and walked the wrong direction. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> they celebrated a bit too hard. <laughs> yeah, they were just like, oh, screw these guys. We're taking all the good gear and going elsewhere. Oh, it was, uh, and um, uh, that was like before Christmas, actually. And we haven't had a chance to pick it up since because of illness and uh, and family commitments and everything. Um we should be picking it up again a bit later after well currently we're just playing a little vampire hunters because i just picked that up off um kickstarter so it, we're using it as a palette cleanser because it's a lot lighter than kingdom death and it lets me um do stupid things with no cost which i can't do in kingdom death if i start dicking around people start dying how about you josh <sighs> most of our stuff's on stream so silly things like donald trump and hillary clinton where Everyone was named after political yeah. members killing each other and coming back from the dead and just you should you should tell things. that story from the start because uh, I, I think Gray and Nizhik haven't 
haven't experienced it and i think it's one of the best like best moments uh, i've ever seen in the game so so we had take us from the start we had a character named donald trump a character named hillary clinton and a character named uh bernie sanders this was around primary times or whatever um and i don't recall everything that happened i think the kingsman came and they killed someone on one of their uh lantern lantern spears glaives whatever they're called halberts there we go lantern halberts uh it ended up being bernie sanders so it was donald trump uh killing them and then uh after that uh donald trump died but had a sleep of our virus that Hillary Clinton ate and became Donald Trump. And then Donald Trump <laughs> murdered someone after that. Um, and it was one time Poots was actually watching and, and things like that. That's right. It, it, it wasn't that about the time that you had murder on the timeline and then you drew the murder card and Poots tweeted double murder. Oh my God. <laughs> so, I didn't then, I didn't you encounter the flesh monolith and. Yeah, we made another out. Donald Trump. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He didn't have a chance to partnership himself to, uh, to himself, did you? No, I, I think he died relatively quickly and became a wall in our settlement. Um, and, and so Donald Trump built his wall. <laughs> you know, you know what? That, that does mean, like, I, I'm just thinking you could potentially. Through the sleeping virus flower lets you transmit somebody's personality to a new body after they've died, for those people who aren't fully aware with it, uh, what it does. So you could have somebody die, get transmitted to the body of somebody else, and then you could go to the statue event and find the original person and bring them back to life, to get, get them back to the settlement, partnership them with themselves, and then make babies. It's not incest, because technically they're in a new body, but man, is it narcissistic. Yeah, it's, oh it's something. Uh, I spend all my time desperately, like, keeping the track of the family lines to try and avoid, like, accidental incest in this game because it's so easy. Well, I mean, in our Sun campaign, we basically went, fuck it, there's going to be incest because we can't keep track of everyone anymore. <laughs> We're going to do better when we play People of the Stars coming up because, uh,. If, if if you guys are interested, we're going to play my hero system and tracking lineage is going to become a bit important. We're going to do family dynasties and stuff, so it should be fun. Um, but yeah, I think we're uh, we're approaching towards the the end of our allotted time, aren't we? Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, I think we're going to wrap up now. So thanks everyone for joining us. Um, real quick, uh, Fen and everyone, you want to shout out and do a shout out to where they can find more more of your stuff. Yeah, well, um, you can catch most of my stuff uh, on my uh, Patreon at www.patreon.com forward slash 10 paints. Uh, same profile name for my Instagram and my Twitter. Uh, you can catch uh, our six, 17 episode People of the Sun run uh, on YouTube. Um, uh, the name is Spinning Dust. Is that correct, Gray? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, I also have the videos linked on my Patreon um, publicly, so you'll be able to click in and follow on there. You can enjoy a series filled with misplays and numerous occasions where I make the wrong decision because <laughs> I'm tired or confused or I'm just being stupid. Um, and and we see, cheat a lot. We do yeah. cheat a lot to try it. Yes, you know, the cheating count really does fly up. A lot of the time it's accidental cheating. Uh, I'm available for commissions. Uh, I'm currently working on... 
um, another custom monster uh, to go with the first one I did. Um, and as we mentioned a few times, we will be starting a new People of the Stars campaign from fresh, and we're going to be aiming to try and complete the People of the Stars and build green armor at the same time. So that should be interesting and fun. Uh, and that'll be the three of us. Yep. And you can find both Najik and I hanging out in Fen's Discord as mods. Yeah. Uh, the the Otter Mod Squad. Uh, yep. And my Discord is in the in in the description for my Patreon. Uh, and I'm usually around, but often uh, invisible because I forget to put myself online. So if you do have any questions or anything, you can always ask them in the appropriate channel. And I will eventually answer. Usually if I don't answer straight away, it means I'm probably painting or I am actually genuinely not on my computer. All right. That sounds great. So thanks everyone for joining us. We should be back in two weeks with the Slenderman, correct, Fan? Correct. We're going to do the Slenderman and then we're going to do the Lion Knight. All right. Sounds awesome. I'd like to do the Lion Knight and get the Lion Knight out of the way with. So, but Slender Man first, so we've got something really cool and fun to talk about. All right, so join us again in two weeks for the next Great Cameras podcast. Thanks for everyone for hanging out with us. Have a good night. And uh, thank you to Gray Nishik for um, entertaining me and coming along and agreeing to do this. Uh, you guys are both treasures. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you.